<laughs> wow. Woo! I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Some of you going, they changed the word. I know. We did. We changed the word. All right. So, so last week we kicked off the new year and this new series with this idea. Or really this question goes like this. What if, all right? So what if the biggest threat or danger to your life? And by that I mean your, your spiritual life, your relationship with God. What is the biggest threat to your relationship with the people in your life that you love the most in this world? What is the biggest danger to, to your ability or the possibility of you being able to live a life that is, that is free of things that you've just spent too much time on, like guilt and shame and regret and anger and bitterness and hopelessness? What if the biggest threat or killer of everything that's most important in your life doesn't come from some big, I don't know, boogeyman or sin out there somewhere waiting in the dark or under your bed waiting to jump out and get you? But what if it's actually might come from something or someone that's it's already in your life? It's been happening for, for so long now that, that by now it just seems normal, ordinary. Even you, you trust it. You describe it as, that's a good thing. It's been there for a long time. But, but, but what if, and the, like we talked about last week, what if behind the happy painted on smile is something deadly? And what if, like Jesus said last week, the thing that seems right or normal to you now really is a thief and a liar and a killer waiting to rip you off and murder everything important to you and leave you with absolutely nothing. And what if nothing's happened yet so far, right? But what if it's just a matter of time until this thief, this killer, removes its mask and reveals what it's been planning to do and waiting to do all along? And this is the place last week, if you were here, where I showed you a picture of a scary clown. But I got a couple notes from you. You're scared of clowns, all right? So, um, so here's a happy clown, so you can feel better, all right? Happy clown, all right? See, not all clowns are bad. All right, everybody's good, happy now, great, great. But some things that look right actually aren't, right? And then the question is, <laughs> what? The question is, how do you know? How, how do you know what's what? How, how do you get something going, I'm crying now, see? Right. How do you know if there's something like that is going on in your life? How do you know if there's a threat against, against everything you love? How do you know? Here's a big question. How do you know that you haven't already been deceived? Already been duped into, fooled into thinking that everything's fine, everything is okay, when really it's not. And how do you know if, or before you find out the hard way, that you're the target of, or even the victim of, a ruthless, heartless serial killer? And here's what Jesus told us to do last week. And we're going to kind of stay on this again this week. He said this, all right, to us. He says, "If, if, if if we're willing to, if you will hold to my teaching." Then you really are my disciple. And then, if you'll do that, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? In other words, what Jesus is teaching is this, is that in the next few weeks in here, all right, he's going to teach us some stuff. Stuff about life, stuff about our own hearts, stuff about God, stuff about relationships, about how all the parts of our life work work best together. And and honestly, and he knew this, is that some of the stuff that he teaches us, it's going to be really tough to hear. Hard to understand. And even if we understand it, it's going to be hard for a lot of us to accept and apply. And just like we tend to do when we walk out of a dark room out into the bright sunlight, for a lot of us, our first reaction is going to be to draw back and cover our eyes. Maybe even turn around, turn around and run, run away from it because it's just too shocking. It's too hard. It's too bright. It may be even a little painful. Maybe a lot painful. I just don't want to hear that. But, but Jesus said, actually, he promised. He says, if you'll make yourself stand there, uh, if, if, you'll, if you'll take hold of, of this truth that I'm telling you, if you're willing to force yourself to not run away from the light, stay there. He said, abide there, live there. Just for a little while, 
Eventually, your eyes will start to adjust, right? When you go outside in the sunlight, your eyes will start to adjust. And this new truth, what Jesus says is a better way to live your life. Eventually, it'll start making sense. Not right away, but eventually it'll start coming into focus. And then, Jesus said, and really not until then, will you be set free. So our goal in this whole series is to allow Jesus, actually to invite him, to shine his light. And by light, here's what we mean. This is what Jesus says is true. This is how life works best. We're inviting Jesus to shine his light into all the corners of our life and see if it's possible if there's someone or something happening in our lives right now that has the potential to to, to rip us off and then kill some really important things in our life and leave us kind of bankrupt with nothing. Now, now as Jesus shines his light into the different areas of our lives, whatever we hear Jesus say during this series and even tonight, the challenge is to not run away. But to ask ourselves two questions. If you want to write these two questions down on your program, write these down. Because these are like the key, the key questions, all right? The first question goes like this. We looked at last week. Are we really looking for God's truth for our life? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? Are we really looking for God's truth for our life? And then the follow-up question with that goes, and are we open to the idea that God's truth might be, I'm not saying it is, but it might be different than what we assumed it was? So are we looking for God's truth? What if it's different? Than what we thought it is. Are you still open to it? Or, or are we only open to God's truth as long as it lines up with what we already believe, what we already think, what we want it to be? I'm fine with God's truth as long as it doesn't push me or make me uncomfortable, which usually means I'm open to God's truth as long as nothing in my life has to change, right? Or just. Jesus says, okay, that, if that's the case, then you need to be prepared that you will continue to experience the same results and experiences that you've had in your life up to this point. But if, if anybody wants something better than that, something more, Jesus said, if you want to be free from the same old results and behaviors that have described your life so far, if you don't want to keep on repeating the same things that have been killing parts of your life so far, he says, then open up your eyes and allow me to show you some things that maybe you haven't seen before. And that's where we're going tonight. So if that's you, and if you're willing to do that, then, then here we go. We're going to look at a story about Jesus that starts like a lot of other stories about Jesus, where someone's going to ask Jesus a question, hoping to stump him, which doesn't work, by the way. But they're going to ask Jesus a question, and then he's going to answer it wrong, and they're going to go, see, he's a fake, all right? But like always, whenever we try to stump Jesus, he's going to turn the conversation and reveal something about the the question asker's heart, and probably about ours tonight. We're in Luke chapter 10. It's in the program. If you have the Flatirons Bible, there's free Bibles in the background, page 721. This is written by an eyewitness guy named Luke. All right, so, all right, so this is what he wrote down. On one occasion, an expert in the law, so this is like a Bible, like, scholar, stood up to test Jesus. So here, Jesus got a question. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, time out, all right? Right off the bat, that's a bad question. I mean, you've heard, well, there are no bad questions. That's just not true. There are. This would be an example of a bad question. And here's why. It doesn't make sense. I mean, look back at it, okay? What must I do to inherit something? That's not how inheritance works, right? Well, I never thought of that. I mean, if you inherit something, it's because somebody else died and made a decision to leave you something in the will. It's not because you did anything. It's because the one who died did something for you, right? I mean, that'd be like asking, so um, what do I need to do to be born? Nothing, all right? I mean, your parents have to do something. Your dad, a little something. Your mom, a lot, all right? But uh, nobody in here born themselves. I did. No, you didn't. I mean, at the hospital, the doctors and nurses didn't vote. 
to see if, you know, well, I think you worked hard enough or, you know, she did her part. She should be allowed to come out. No, you simply were born. Someone else did all the work, gave you life. And for the record, that's called grace, right? So Jesus could have looked at this guy, this, this religious expert, and just rolled his eyes and go, are, are, you, are you stupid? Have you never read the Bible? Do you not know how it works? I mean, really, but, but Jesus is nicer than me. He doesn't say that. He says, okay, let's just kind of go with this conversation. So the next verse, Jesus says this. Uh, all right, so what do, you want, what do I do to eternal, inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? What's, what's, what's it say in the Bible, he replied? How do you read it? How do you understand what God's telling us to do in the Bible? So the expert answered, love the Lord your God. This is a real familiar verse. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting verses out of Deuteronomy because he's an expert in the, in the Bible. He's got a lot of it memorized. Jesus responds, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So the religious expert is probably feeling pretty good about himself. Yeah, I know the answers. Good answer. See, I knew it. I stumped him, right? At least at first. But then what Jesus meant began to hit him. See, Jesus had just said to him, all right, do that. Love God and love your neighbor and you will live. But what Jesus meant, what he implied was this. If you can love God perfectly, sinlessly, and if you can love all the people in your life perfectly every day, Never make a mistake. Never fall short. Never mess up and love, I don't know, God or that guy over there, I don't know, 90%. If you never have a bad day where you love your husband, 75%. I just leave wives out of it. Okay, all right? So, or if you ever have a day where, you know what, today my kids, honestly, or my parents, equal time here, we're just monsters. Really, today I love my parents about a, a scale of one to 150 of what they need or deserve. And I went back to work and my boss, who said he'd give me a raise, didn't. I started school again and the jerk tripped me again and the old fart who cut me off in traffic. I love them like negative 10. Right? Right? What Jesus was saying was this. All right. If you're going to try to, or you're counting on doing something to earn your way or to, to be connected to God. All right. If those are the rules you want to play by, here's what you need to do. If you can live your life in such a way where you perfectly love God. And love all of your neighbors, all the people around you. If you can do that perfectly, you know what that makes you? That makes you perfect, and then you've earned eternal life. So go do that. Good luck. Right? Now, the expert's letting this sink in a minute. He asks an interesting question. I think it's interesting what he doesn't ask. He doesn't ask, well, how do you love God perfectly? I mean, I, I think he just kind of went, well, look at me. I mean, I'm religious, I go to church, I volunteer, right? I read, I even memorize chunks of the Bible, so I'm, I'm, I'm fine. My question is not about God, all right? Here's what I'm not comfortable with. Here's where I get a little nervous. Next, next question. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? All right, in other words, um, how far does that neighbor thing go? I mean, what or who does it include? Who do I have to love to go to heaven? Where's the line where I can say, all right, I have to, or at least I'm willing to do that, but I do not have to do that. So Jesus does what he always does. He tells a story. Pick up in verse 30, all right? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem, that's a city in Israel, to Jericho, it's another city in Israel, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
dead. Now, geography lesson, because I know that's why you came, all right? Jerusalem is located still today in the mountains of Israel, all right? At at an elevation of about 2,500 feet. Jericho is located about 17 miles away at an elevation of 800 feet below sea level, okay? So you drop about three-fourths of a mile. And the trail that goes down through the valleys and the ravines from Jerusalem to Jericho is infamous because everybody knows back then that's where all the gangs hang out. That's where all the robbers hang out, and, and they wait because there's all these caves and stuff like that. You know, it, the, the comparison I would have to be what you see on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. It's just really scary in there, and you can hide. And everybody knows you shouldn't go there alone. So this guy, what was he thinking? I mean, he should have known better. I'm, I'm sure people said, don't go by yourself, but he did it. He made a stupid decision, and it almost cost him his life. Luckily, help is on the way. Look at this next verse. So a priest, all right, this is a professional religious person. They get paid to help people, okay? A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, this is a non-paid, very religious person. It's like, I'm not a priest, but I volunteer a lot, okay? I have another job, but I work children's ministry. So, you know, that's what I mean. So, I'm I'm there all the time, but but I'm very, very committed to working at the temple, all right? So, to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the the guy dying on the side of the road, he passed by on the other side. Now, now here's the thing. I missed this for a long time, all right? It says this. Look back at those verses. Both the priest and the Levite, Jesus points out, were traveling down the road, downhill, that means they were coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem's where the temple was. So what Jesus points out is they're on their way home from church. They just spent some time, oh, we love you, God, and oh, we, you know, we sacrifice, we're sorry for our sins, and we want to follow you, and you know, it's like sing to the king. We just, oh, that's, I, love, I love that song. They, these people were religious enough to make a 34-mile round trip to do something religious. Um but not enough to stop and help a guy bleeding on the side of the road. As a matter of fact, they both did something to avoid him. It says they intentionally crossed over and passed on the other side. Now, look at the next verse, verse 33. But a Samaritan, now let's just time out right there, okay? Let me just, again, a little history lesson. A Samaritan, go back 2,000 years ago, is a person that's half Jewish and half something else. And here's, here's what I mean. There's a section of Israel. It's kind of divided into three parts. The middle part's called Samaria. And several years before this, another country had invaded Israel. And when the, country, when the foreigners got there, they kind of married the Jewish people and they had kids together and, and they, they mixed the religion, the Jewish religion and some other stuff and stuff like that. And they kind of, their children were the Samaritans. All right? And, and most good, pure Jewish people hated Samaritans. They called them half-breeds. I mean, they hated them in the most hateful, racist way possible. And Jesus doesn't pick out examples on accident. He very intentionally picked this example on purpose. In other words, okay, you want to know, religious expert, all right, where the line is? How about this? Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man, the man laying on the road was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn or a hotel, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you. I'll give you more denarii, all right, for any extra expenses you may have. Now, the story's over. 
All right, it's test time. Here's the question. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? In other words, religious person, right? You ask me, well, who is my neighbor? And I'm asking you, what do you think it looks like to be a neighbor? Which of these three men understands what God is telling all of us to do to those around us in need? Verse 37. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy... Now, underline that if you have a pen, all right? The one who had mercy on him, Jesus said, go and do likewise. And you look at that word mercy there, right? Mercy, by definition, is, is the application of or, or the acting out of, of grace. And grace is the free forgiveness God offers you, right? I mean, you don't, you don't earn it. You don't you know, try to you know, do good things and God gives it to you. No, no, you, you put your faith in God and, and he gives you forgiveness. That's grace. So anytime you show or give someone mercy, it should serve as a reminder that, you know, God has forgiven me much. And God hasn't treated me the way that I deserve. So whenever you give to someone or or do for someone what God has done for you, I'll give you some examples. Whenever you help somebody in need, has God ever helped you in need? So whenever you help somebody in need, whenever you don't give somebody what they deserve, like God hasn't given you what we all have coming, right? But instead, you give them what they need. Anytime you do or don't do that, it, it's, a reflection of your, it's a reflection of your understanding or your lack of understanding about what God has done for you. In other words, let me sum this up. I give mercy to other people because I've been given so much grace from God. It's my motivation. The reason I, I, I help, the reason I reach out, the reason I don't give people what they have coming is because I've been given so much grace and love and forgiveness from God. So, Mr. Expert, your original question was, Jesus, how do I live eternally connected to God? And the right answer was, love God and love people. But you ignored the God part and skipped right to the, yeah, but who do I have to love? Like, what's, how low does that bar go? Who can I ignore? Here's the question. Where's the line? Where's the line? And here's what Jesus is going to teach us today. And for the record, this is where Jesus is going to flip the lights on. And a lot of us are going to start flinching and squinting and running and trying to block out the light with a bunch of arguments and excuses and, whoa, 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 but what about this? And what if this? And you don't know my story, all right? So here's what Jesus is going to flip the light on. Hold on. It's a moving line. Where's the line about how I've had to help people? I don't know. It's a moving line. In, In other words, the line is directly tied to something else. What do you mean? It's tied to how much you love God. How much do you understand God loves you? How much do you understand what Jesus has done for you? See, the the greater your love for God and the greater your understanding of how much grace, if you really let this sink in, how much grace and how much forgiveness and how many second chances and how much help God's given you, the more that sinks in, that line moves way out, doesn't it? It includes more and more willingness to do whatever it takes to do whatever needs to be done for the people in your life. And if that's true then the opposite is true. See, if your willingness to do whatever it takes to make sure whatever needs to get done actually gets done, if that line is right up here, doesn't go very far, doesn't include very many people, what Jesus is saying is this. I think you missed it. I think you've missed how much God loves you. Right? And, and what he's done for you. Because if you did understand, it, it would be demonstrated by what you're willing to do for some people in your life. I mean, you don't do things to get God to love you. When you realize how much you're loved, it makes a difference. 
You're willing to do things for people in your life. Ready? That you're thinking about right now. Right? The light hurts. So here's the revealing question. Where's the line for you? Where's the line for you? Let me break that down into two very specific, intrusive questions. Something is going on in your life right now. Right now. I'm not talking about someday or... Do you remember about 10 years? No, right now, all right? So what are you willing to do about it? And what are you... I'm not willing to do that. I'll do that, but not that. Where's the line for you? And, and, and who does that include? And who does that exclude? I'll do it for her, but not him, right? Does that make sense? Uh, maybe easier, picture this, okay? In your life, get something in your mind right now. In your life, you're, think about it right now. You know there's something that needs to be done, right? Something that you need to do, right? You're convicted by it. For, you need to do it for somebody else. You need to do it for your family. You need to do it for yourself. And maybe it's a combination. You need, I need to do this for myself so I can be a better whatever for my family, okay? So picture this, okay? Here's a line, all right? So look at that line. At one end... You have any, I'll do anything for everybody. I mean, there's just no, I'll do, what, what, what? There's no limit. I mean, I would do anything to make sure that that person has, all right, I'll do anything for everyone. At the other end, you have, I'm not doing anything. I don't care. No, I don't care who's involved. Nothing, no one, no. So that's the extreme. What Jesus is interested interested in is, is the point, kind of that line in the middle. What's that for you? See, what, what Jesus is asking you, point, pointing his light right into your face, into your heart tonight, is this. Well, what's that point where you'll say, okay, that's it. I'll do that, but not that. I'll go, I'll go this far, but no further. I, I'll do this for, for him, but, but not her. Where is that for you? And by the way, do you know what you call that moving uh, sliding point? It's called pride. It's called pride. Pride is the point where you say, all right, I'm willing to do that, but I am not willing to do that. It's pride. I'm not willing to do it because I, I can't do it. That's not pride. It's, I don't know how to do it, all right? It's not because I, I don't know how. No, I do. I, I, know, I, know, I know how to do it. I know what I could do. I probably know what I should do. No, I'm not willing to do that. That's it. I draw the line. I refuse to go any further. What Jesus is asking each of us today is this. What's the pride point for you? Where is that? And and here's the deal. This is where it ties all in together. What if your pride is one of the serial killers in your life that, you know, that seems okay. It it seems all right. I mean, compared to hers, all right? I mean, it seems justified. This is no big deal. But what if actually pride is ripping you off from something you could be having? What if pride is killing something or someone, or maybe that's plural, in your life that you really love. And if you're not careful, if it's not stopped, pride will leave you in total loss of the thing that you wanted and needed the most. What if your pride is standing in the way of you having the life that Jesus meant for you to have and the life that some other people in your life need to have and deserve to have, but they can't because your stubborn pride is in the way. Isn't this horrible? See, look back at that line, all right? Just pick something out in your life that's going on right now. Maybe the life of someone, you need, there's someone that needs you to do something or you need to do something for, for yourself. You know, maybe it's, it's a relationship problem. I'll just throw some out. Maybe your marriage is struggling. I mean, we don't talk about it, but it's the elephant in the room. It's a matter of time to, I mean, it's just, it's going to go that way. Maybe you have parent problems because you have really bad parents. All right. I mean, I wish all parents were good, but, but, but they're not. 
Here's one. Let's get a little more into it. Maybe you're dating the wrong person and you know that you should be running the other direction. So here's a question. What are you willing to do about that? And not, I'm not doing that. I know I should, but I'm not. Maybe something needs to change sexually. We're going to talk about more of that next week. Maybe it's like, you know, I, I, I probably need to be more giving in that area. You know, maybe I, maybe I should be less demanding in that area. Maybe I should make a decision. I don't need sex in my life right now. It's just not the right time. So what are you willing to do? Maybe it's financial, right? Several weeks before we talk about this, so you can come back, all right? Maybe you're sitting here going, I have so much debt. I'm crushed. I can't breathe. I can't sleep. Maybe, maybe this a little extra money came my way and I'm kind of torn. I don't, I don't know what to do with this, this little extra money. You go, which way? Are you willing to do anything with it for the person who needs it? Or, well, not that. I'm not willing to do that. Maybe it's an addiction. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe, maybe a bunch of people in your life keep telling you, you know, you, you drink a lot. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's pornography. Now, now look at that line. What are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go? What are you willing to sacrifice? And by that, what are you willing to let go of? I'm going to choose to not do that so that I can do what needs to be done so it can happen. And wherever you land on that line is this thing called pride. Now, now here's the thing, all right? Pride is always driven by at least one of two things, usually a combination of both. All right, if you're taking, here's only two things to take notes on tonight. Here's the first one. The first kind of driver of pride is arrogance. Now, you would not sit here and go, I'm arrogant. Maybe you, maybe you are arrogant enough to go, I am. And I'm fine with that, all right? So you wouldn't describe yourself that way. You know, the person next to you would go, she is, all right? But you wouldn't, say, you wouldn't describe yourself with words like that. I'm not selfish. You'd say it like this. I don't have time to do stuff like that. In other words, my stuff is so important. I don't have time for your stuff. I have more important things to do. And maybe that would describe the religious guys in the story. I'm on my way. I've been with God. I'm on my way to do important religious stuff. And I, I don't have time to get mixed up in your problems. And honestly, I don't have the desire to get mixed up in your problems. Let somebody else do it. I can't help everyone. You know, maybe you are. Maybe you are the most important person in the world. Maybe you're just arrogant. You might say it like this. You know, that, they don't deserve my help. I mean, someone like that. I mean, listen, if you knew the stuff that they had done, they don't deserve help or mercy from someone like me. Maybe that's the religious guys in the story. Have you ever looked at somebody in need with problems that just crashed their life and thought to yourself, well, it serves them right. I mean, I warned them. I mean, that, that was, they were just asking for it. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's, it was really not my deal. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're just arrogant. You might take it another step. Why should I help them? You know, really, they owe me. They should do something for me. I shouldn't be expected to do anything for them. They should pay me back. They should make things right in my direction. You know what? Maybe you're right. And you're really arrogant about it. Either way, it's pride. The other driver of pride is fear. Not not so much fear of failure. Oh, no, I I might do it wrong. No, fear that if you do what needs to be done, something about who you really are might get revealed and everybody will see you. And that might impact how people see you or what they think about you. I mean, if you do what needs to be done, it could, it could get embarrassing, right? Really humbling. I would have to admit to some things that I don't really want, what? Exposed, right? I think that you call that in Jesus' terms, brought out into the light. 
Right? And this is how Jesus actually said it. He says this, everyone who does evil, and evil in this, in this case says, I know the right thing to do. No, that's what we're talking about, all right? Everybody who does evil hates the light. I don't want to know the truth. And will not come into the light for fear that his or her deeds will be exposed. So you can call it fear. You can call it insecurity. You can call it, well, what would people think? You can call it whatever you want to call it. But whether you call it arrogance or fear, it's the limit. It's the line in the sand. It's the reason you won't do what needs to be done. And that, by definition, is pride. But, but go back to the story Jesus told. If arrogance and fear are the drivers of pride, do you remember what Jesus said was the driver out of pride? Remember, we already talked about this. Jesus taught this. He said that our willingness to do whatever needs to be done, that's mercy. I'm going I'm to do it. It needs to be done. For whoever needs it done for is, is directly tied to how much you love God, how much you understand that God loves you, and how much you understand what Jesus has done for you. And that's called grace. See, look again, look at the line. The, the, the greater your love for God, the greater your understanding of how much grace and forgiveness and second chances that Jesus has given you. I mean, it moves way over there. I mean, I, I, Jesus blows my mind. And because of that, I, I can trust him. I can go over there, right? But if the pride line is way over here, Jesus would say, not only do you, you not realize, are you forgotten about what it means to love God, how much God loves you, and not only have you missed you know, understanding of what Jesus has, has done for you. But on top of that, Jesus would say, be careful. Because pride is a really dangerous way to live your life. As a matter of fact, let me just kind of give you a sneak peek of the rest of the series in case you don't want to come back, right? No matter what we talk about over the next four weeks in here, behind almost every issue, every problem, and standing in the way of every solution to every problem that we have, it will always be the same thing. Pride. I refuse. For whatever reason, I'm not going to do what needs to be done. And unless we turn the lights on and address pride in our life, we're kind of wasting our time. Why, why talk about anything else? So, so, so let, here's some closing questions, all right? So I'm about to let you off the mat so you can take a breath, all right? I'm really not. Here we go. Ready? What, what's going on in your life tonight? Right now? What needs to happen? And by that, I don't mean what does somebody else need to do that's out of our control, right? And we're not in charge of that. No, I'm saying, what do you know that you need to do? And what do the people in your life need you to do? And here's the big question. Why won't you do it? What's the reason? And if the answer to that last question is, it's my pride. It's my insecurity. It's my fear. But if I do this, you know, think about what could happen. It's my anger. It's my arrogance. And here's the thing. Remember what Jesus told us to do if his light reveals something about ourselves that we don't really like and don't want to admit? He said, don't run away, right? Don't, don't turn away. Don't, don't, don't just make up your mind tonight, okay? I, no, I'm not going to do that ever, ever, ever. So end of discussion. What he said was this, just stand there for a while. Just, just sit there for a while. Let this, this may take... Hours, days, weeks to sink in and wrestle, right? R- r- wrestle through, right? I was like, I, 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 there's no way I can do that. But you're going to lay in bed and toss and turn for a couple weeks. You're welcome on that, right? And, but just, if you just let, just take a breath. Let it sink in and wrestle with it for a while. Until maybe it doesn't feel so shocking, so, so painful. And give yourself some time. 
to adjust to the light, what God might be telling you to do. Because he promised, Jesus promised, that if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to hang in there for, for, for a while, then you'll know the truth. And maybe you can be free. And I'm done. I'm, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing two, two great worship songs. And um, I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their heads. I've actually written, I don't usually write out prayers. I just wrote out some stuff here to just lead us through a time of prayer. Because this is really hard stuff. All right? So if you just bow your head, let's, let's just pray together. And then, then uh, we're going we're gonna to worship together. But here's, here's our prayer. God, no, this is not a guilt trip. But would you just remind us of how much you love us? And would you remind us of what you've done for us? And that we're already loved. If nothing changes in our life, we're already loved. We don't have to be afraid of anything. I mean, consequences freak me out, but... You've already demonstrated that you'll do anything to get me through whatever I have to go through. Even walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Whether, whether that death is somebody else's fault and it's killed parts of my life or maybe it's my own fault. Either way, God, I, I know that everybody in this room is wrestling through something right now. Should I call an attorney? Should I call a counselor? Should I walk out? Should I stay? Should I go to the doctor and see if medication would help or should I just keep... Stay in my bed another week with the covers over my head. God, go, what is it you want us to do? And we th- I, I'm pretty sure we know the answer, but it just is blinding. It's, it freaks us out, God, and we're really, really afraid. But we do know this, God. We do want a better life than we currently have. And we know that that life, that better life, is found in your truth and in your light. It just seems so unattainable sometimes. And so, God, would you give us the strength? to do what we can't do for ourselves? Will you give us the power to fix what we don't know how to fix? Will you give us the courage and the strength to stand when all we want to do is run? Will you change us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.